Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if this is your first time joining us, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. So wherever you get yours at, if you're on SoundCloud, tune in, iTunes, or Google Play, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, some of you may be listening to us from afar, but those of you who are listening to us, hometown folks, Chicago, uh, many of you were surprised. Well, maybe you were, maybe you weren't. But I know I was a bit surprised to hear that our mayor, Rahm Emanuel, would not be seeking another term as mayor. And to uh, help us look at this and give some context to this and and do a little, little bit of uh, whooping and hollering, uh, we have with us <laughs> veteran reporter Mick Dumpke. He is a reporter for ProPublica Illinois, uh, spent some time also with uh, Sun-Times and, and other publications as well. But uh, we are pleased to have him back in studio with us. How are you, brother? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's yes. good to be here again. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I was surprised. Um, were you surprised? <laughs> I was surprised. I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised, if that makes any sense. And there had been some murmurs that he was thinking of not running uh, just because the um, number of problems that he as mayor and anyone as mayor is f- going to face seem to be piling up. Yeah. Um, and as you and I were discussing before the show, uh, my former colleague, Fran Spielman, great City Hall beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, mm-hmm. had a story a few days before, the week before uh, Mayor Manuel made his announcement, which basically said, you know, it's time. Uh, will he or won't he? Right. And it quoted a bunch of uh, allies as well as uh, critics saying, if, you know, it, he needs to basically say, I'm in or I'm not in, because if he didn't do it before the Laquan McDonald trials, or the, excuse me, the Jason Van Dyke trial started, right. resulting from the shooting of Laquan McDonald, then he would look like that was the primary motivator. As it is, I right. would say he'd waited till the night before, and it still looks like it's one of the yeah, primary. He, he didn't avoid that at all. He did not. Now, you, you did something. You put together a timeline of things that took place during his administration that could possibly give us a a bit better uh, perspective on the decision and just just kind of bring us up to date with that, would you? Well, my contention, I I did sort of what you're talking about is I did what we call, I guess, a tweet storm or Twitter thread, (laughs) uh, depending on your lingo you use, Um, pretty much piecing together a few stories that I've written and other people have written about uh, Mayor Manuel along the way. And my, my contention here is that uh, whether you like or dislike Rom, and there are plenty of people in, in each camp, uh, I still think that what he is best known for is his politicking, his political maneuvering, more than he's known for any one policy. Mm. It is for, uh, for lack of a better word, and it's for his spin. I mean, Rom came here as a D.C., a political spinmeister, and he never really stopped that approach. And so what I was uh, tweeting out were some examples of that, where I thought that he was uh, trying to 
present something that either wasn't fully true or wasn't true at all. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of examples of that. And uh, one of them, of course, is the whole shooting of Laquan McDonald, which I probably don't have to remind people close or far away. Uh, this was a 17-year-old who was shot 16 times by a Chicago police officer about four years ago. And it was more than a year later before the city was compelled uh, under the order of a judge to release the video of of the incident. Right. Had it not been for that for that order, that footage may have never come out. Right. And and if it hadn't been for journalists fighting to have the uh, the information, the video released, and going to court to ask that it be released, because this all happened under the Freedom of Information Act and the city uh, Mayor Manuel's administration saying this was not something that should be available, should be released to the public, and then losing in court, having a judge saying, no, you have, uh, at that time, he, I think he gave them a week mm-hmm. to, to release it, and it came out right before Thanksgiving in 2015. Yeah. And nothing really has been the same in Chicago since then. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I remember the marches, um, I think right after the footage came out. Right. Uh, right down here on the Magnificent Mile. So um, now I'm thinking that if when that's brought up, this whole point about the administration trying to block access to that footage and a potential mayoral debate and how that looks uh, and what type of responses would have would have come up. I mean, and we don't have to worry about that now. Right. But just the thought of that, it just it doesn't seem like that's really a whole uh, or I shouldn't say a whole, but it doesn't, doesn't really seem like something that could be justified. Um, or there's not an answer that will be given to the public, uh, particularly the African-American community, um, as to why you think that that was OK, especially on the heels of the, the school um, closings, which really haven't gotten. It's kind of really died down the murmur, but, you know. Right, but still a lot of people do remember that. So the school closings, I think, were 2013, maybe, 2012, 2013, uh, where uh, 50 Chicago public elementary schools mm-hmm. were were closed en masse all at the same time. And, and I actually mentioned that in this uh, Twitter thread, too. I thought that was a very significant event, not just the fact that the schools were closed, which was, of course, a huge deal in all the all the communities where, you know, there's a shuttering of a of a major public institution and the message that seemed to send. But you know, even if the schools needed to be closed, I think that um, there would have could have been a different way to do it. You ne- didn't necessarily have to do them all at the same time, which appeared to be one way of just getting over with it, you know, getting it all over with so yeah. that by the time that your re-election came two years later, hopefully people had forgotten about it or faded into memory. And the other thing was, you know, Mayor Manuel uh, didn't take stand up and sort of take the heat for it. When the, when the list of 50 schools was announced, he was on a ski vacation with his family and left it to his aides to make the announcement. And um, I, I heard many people say this, uh, you know, Mayor Daley, say what you were about his ty- tyrannical ways, whether you loved him or hate him. Mm-hmm. He would have stood up there. He would have taken the heat. He may have told you to, you know, go do something <laughs> with yourself. Uh, yeah, right. But um, that would have been his style, a little more confrontational. And, and, and Rom wasn't anywhere to be seen when that list was announced. So I think that's kind of emblematic of the way he did a lot of things. Yeah. What is, aside from the, the politicking, um, with him... What's the other thing that you would say is the is kind of emblematic of, of his administration? 
uh, and, and his leadership style? I'd say there were two things. Um, if we're just talking about the real, the real issues facing the city and facing the mayor of the city, um, one is the uh, the city's finances, which um, everyone agrees were not in good shape when he took over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone, of course, wants to point a finger at Mayor Daley, and rightly so. My issue on that is where was everybody when they were cheering Mayor Daley on, including Rom, by the way. Um, cheering Mayor Daley on, what a great mayor he was, voting for him time and time again, both newspapers in this town endorsing him, all of the the civic community and everything saying, way to go, what a great mayor we have. And then when he leaves, they're like, boy, this guy really hosed us, you know. (laughs) He left us as the mountain of debt. (laughs) And and Ron, please help us get out of it. Uh, So there's a lot of politics there in the messaging. But he did, you know, Ron, of course, has raised taxes and fees and made a bunch of budget cuts, uh, many of which, as we were just describing, were not popular or, in my view, not carried out in a, in a way that was very sensitive to a lot of uh, communities in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is crime and policing. Um, and both of those remain major issues, just the day-in and day-out gun violence here and the, uh, the growing divide between so many citizens and residents of Chicago and the police force. Mm. I think those, those two huge issues are things that uh, Mayor Emanuel um, maybe may have been forced to take on and hasn't fully been able to confront. All right. You know, one of the things that I have to look at uh, immediately comes about when I think about crime and the response to it, it has always been a very one-sided response. Uh, and that being we hear about mass shootings going on, you know, over the weekend, and we, we get this report every Monday. Fifteen. It's people, like the box people. score. That's how yeah, I always think about it. Exactly. You know? it, it Instead of really how many how many how many hits and RBIs you had, it's like how many, how many people shot, how many killed. And yeah. you're totally right. It's desensitized. There's no context. And and there's only one one side of it, which is we we respond to it with more police. Right. And it's never about social services. It's never about um, mental health is never about education. It's just more police. Or, or changing the strategies. And I actually, this is um, an instance where I'm somewhat sympathetic to the police department. Like, why is it all on on guys who are trained to put people in cuffs and use their clubs? Uh, why, why is it all on them to deal with all these issues you're talking yeah. about that lead up to these these crimes? I think that's incredibly unfair, incredibly short-sighted. So I I really agree with you on that. So the notion that this is just policing strategy or the number of police in a particular beat Mm. is really misguided. But to your point, that other stuff is really hard. And, um, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. I think that's the important thing here. Uh, The next mayor hopefully will be someone who addresses that head-on and has some fresh ideas and some fresh energy for looking at it. But the reason... Most elected officials don't take on stuff like mental health and racial segregation and class segregation and chronic generational unemployment. And uh, we can just keep on going down the list. The, mm-hmm. the images that are projected of who's a criminal and who's a not is because they're really hard. And in a four-year election cycle, um, oftentimes, even if you make those investments, you may not see immediate quick dividends that you can point to in a campaign ad. Absolutely. None, none of those issues are going to be dealt with over a four-year period. 
and that's something I think, just in terms of transparency and communication with the uh, with the citizens uh, of Chicago, uh, uh, with the people of Chicago, right? We're citizens of the U.S., but <laughs> <laughs> but with the residents of Chicago, I think that's something that you're going to have to have buy-in from Chicagoans as a whole. Um, but when you mention the next mayor, whoever that next mayor is going to be, so we've got potentially it's going to because we haven't had it, we have we haven't seen this in a long time, uh, and I'm, so everybody's ready for this crowded feel. Uh, I know we have. I don't think we've heard anything from uh, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, uh, Preckwinkle yet. Um, there was a uh, Dr. Willie Wilson who ran before, who I think is just excellent as a philanthropist uh, and on social justice. There's some other concerns, right? And everybody has their their Achilles heel, I guess. Uh, who else do we have? Um, well, in, you know, everybody but you and, and me. Yeah, yeah, um, we unless, could just unless, say that. Unless you declared at the time when I was walking <laughs> over here, which is possible in this environment. Yeah. You're right. I mean, there were, I think, 12 people who announced that they were running before yeah. Rahm said he was not going to seek re-election. And since then, there have been, uh, I, I just, I've lost count, the number of people 76. who are... 76. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. You, you may be being conservative. <laughs> uh, the number of people have dipped their toes in the water saying they're interested. Uh, Tony Preckwink, you mentioned the Cook County Board President, um, has started to circulate petitions already. So oh, really? she's getting signatures. Okay. Um, All right. That, you know, she, she hasn't fully committed to it. For optics' sake, she probably won't fully commit until after the November election because right. everyone in Chicago has forgotten there's a general election in November right. because we're already obsessed with February and, uh-huh. and next April with the municipal. But um, there's state and, and national elections going on in November. And Tony Preckwinkle is actually on the ballot for re-election for her current seat as county board president um, in the November ballot. Now, she's running unopposed, so mm-hmm. there's not really a huge political downside to her right. starting to get moving if she's interested in this other thing. But my point is you, you can't be all in on mayor while you're still running for something else. That's yeah, not, not really cool. Yeah. And that affects a couple of the other people who have also expressed interest, most notably uh, Susanna Mendoza, mm. who's the state comptroller, um, formerly the Chicago city clerk, um, uh, young, uh, very energetic, uh, very dynamic uh, Hispanic woman uh, who has also expressed interest. But she does have an opponent in November um, for Comptroller. So she's in a, even more of a bind than, than Tony Preckwinkle. If memory serves correct, she is the official. She refused to sign um, paychecks, I believe, right? Was that her? I think was that her or was that her predecessor? I you know I know what you're talking about. Yeah. This was during the uh, state budget issue, right? Right. Um, she said, "I'm not signing anybody's I think, checks." I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. It's uh, I I apologize to all the listeners. I'm <laughs> I'm forgetting which political stunt was carried out by which politician because we have so many deep fiscal issues here in yeah. Chicago and Illinois. But this is one that occasionally comes up. Like, unless the money is given to me, I'm not gonna. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I only bring it up because if that is her, then I, I was I was really impressed with that. I mean, regardless, if people want to say it's grandstanding or whatever, sure. I thought that. Uh, it was still something that was worthy of taking note. Yeah, and I, you know, I think uh, the numbers show. I mean, more of the bills have gotten paid since she's taken office um, than before. Uh, that's not just up to her. I mean, as a comptroller, I think she is basically cutting the checks. She's not the one who uh, 
crafts or signs off on the budget. But right. even so, it does appear that her office has been um, a little bit better run than it was before. Um, but she's a high-energy candidate. Even if she doesn't take a run this time, she's definitely somebody to watch. Hmm. Now, remember, now we've had on the show, I think a month or so ago, uh, we interviewed uh, Jamal Green, who's also he's put, he's announced his candidacy, I think back in May or something like right. that. Right, he was one earlier. of the original, uh, yeah. like, I'm going to take Ram on, you, you know, <laughs> right. in or out, right. I'm, I'm going for it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and... Well, before I, before, I, before I throw anybody's name out there, when we think about this relationship with Springfield uh, and the governor's office, what do you, what, what do you see with this, this crowded field uh, that we have? And, and of course, there are going to be folks who are going to put their names out there, you know, in, in the hat that really don't have a chance. Right. Uh, Most of them. Yeah. Most of them won't make the ballot. Yeah. I mean, a, a real quick note to remember uh, if you're really getting you know, insidery in Chicago politics, you need 12,500 valid signatures to make the ballot. I mean, that's a lot of signatures that to is. collect. And the conventional wisdom is that you need to, to get twice as many because somebody is going to come in and challenge them and disqualify a good number of them. So you should probably get 25,000 signatures before you, you know, file to even run. Mm-hmm. So Chicagoans, non-Chicagoans, why should you care about this number? Because the point is it's this is a system set up by insiders to make it very, very difficult to get on the ballot. Yeah. Um, you, you can look at it as in, and say, well, if you can't get enough signatures, you can't even do that. It's kind of like filling your name out right in the SAT. You know, If you can't do that right, you're not going to get a very good score. It's kind of the same thing. If you can't get the signatures, why should we think you're a qualified mayoral candidate? But still, that's a lot of signatures. And you know what? And I know that I can uh, look back about 10 years ago. I ran for office in uh, Salk Village, and I was a resident out there for a while. And I ran for trustee. Okay. And out there, the requirement was, if memory serves correct, I think a thousand uh, signatures. No, 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 no. It was nowhere near a thousand. Maybe it was. Yeah, it was. I think it was about a thousand uh, signatures. And of course, like you said, it was always about going over because the first thing that happens yeah. is you challenge the signatures of your opponents. That's the way it's done. Yeah. But, but what I'm looking at here is. Uh, we had some volunteers, and I ran with a, uh, on a, with a slate. Um, but when you think about the average citizen, right, the average resident standing up saying, I want to represent my city, the hours that it takes to get those signatures, and I'm thinking I was just on, on such a small, you know, a right, fraction exactly. of right, right, 10% of or, or less than 10% of what's required in Chicago. Right. That means that you have to have – an army of, of volunteers that are going out and not just getting the 12, you said 12,000 or 12,500? 12, 12,500, yeah. So they've got to go out and get fifteen, uh, 25,000 signatures, right? Exactly. you got to go double. So you have to have, it really is kind of, I think, dispiriting to a degree for anybody who is uh, that guy or, 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 or girl, that, that man or woman who decides, I'm ready to get out here. Well, you have to bring and infrastructure, you got to have. That's right. A, a, you know, you got to have a crew ready to run with you. You do. You either have to have a lot of old army buddies, or you uh, <laughs> you have to have uh, some some money so that you can pay people to do the work, which exactly. is how, how a lot of uh, professional campaigns go these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're exactly right. It's not a system that's set up to be democratic, small d. It's yeah. a system uh, to 
help people who are already in the system and know how to do this. Yeah. So, um, so what, what do you see as far as the, the, that relationship between Chicago and Springfield? Uh, and we, we've seen a bit of contention. That's right. And, right. and remember, Rahm and, and Rahner, Bruce Rahner, our governor in Illinois, were supposed to be buddies. Yeah. We've right. all seen that picture circulating, that infamous picture of the two of them, you know, uh, at Rahner's ranch, one of his one of his many properties, his ranch yeah. in Montana. Mm-hmm. Rahm's holding, uh, you know, like a bottle of wine where they're like, look like they're having the times of their <laughs> lives. Mm-hmm. Um, Rahm, uh, in between his political gigs, at one point in time, in between, after he left the Clinton White House, mm. um, he was in on a financial deal and helped make Rahner a lot of money. So they have this acquaintance, this friendship going back a ways. But to your point, they've been at loggerheads almost since the time that Governor Rahner took over, uh, pretty much with a mission to try to um, bring Chicago and its unionized workforce and uh, the Alderman City Council and with the mayor, you know, mm-hmm. to their knees and basically saying, you're not getting any, th- any help from us in Springfield. So they've been at odds. I think the new governor, whoever it is, is going to have to, you know, rebuild that relationship. It's just too important for these two squabbling entities, the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago, which are both struggling financially, you know, to be playing all these political games. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, it looks like Governor Rahner is on the ropes. It doesn't mean he is going to lose for sure, but there's a very good chance that there will be a Democrat, J.B. Pritzker, who occupies the governor's office. And um, even though the office of mayor of Chicago is officially nonpartisan, it's a Democratic town. Uh, All the strongest candidates are uh, members of the Democratic Party. So I think you're going to see a better relationship no matter who gets in there. Yeah. Uh, do you think that? <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, do you think that uh, that there has been some jealousy between the uh, the, the, the state capital and the Chicago uh, mayor's office in terms of Chicago is a global city, right? And even though uh, hi- uh, hierarchically, did I said it right. Hi, hierarchy. We know what you're saying. Yeah. 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 We'll take that. Out. Yeah, <laughs> according to the rank, right? <laughs> that that uh, that the the governor's office is is a higher is a higher office, right? But there's more prestige, and I would even say maybe more. There's more power and influence, I think, uh, with the Chicago mayor's office. I think without a doubt. Um, and, and people who don't live in either Illinois or Chicago yeah. may not quite grasp this, but um, <laughs> around these parts, Chicago is sort of a city-state. It's yeah. its own entity. And uh, the governor of Illinois, certainly an important figure and very powerful, but um, dwarfed by the influence that the mayor of Chicago has because, of course, Chicago is – uh, the biggest city, of course, of course, in the state, it's the capital of the entire Midwest, and the mayor of Chicago controls not just all the regular city agencies, but you think about it, the public security apparatus, i.e. the police department, emergency communications, the school system here, all of the streets, um, basically appoints the people who lead the housing agency, and you can keep on going down the list, the park system, uh, the uh, has some influence over even the, you know the sanitation system, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. Yeah. Um, so 
the reach is immense of the governor, or excuse me, of the mayor. And uh, I think you're right. I mean, it's, you know, two guys who uh, are both um, used to kind of getting their own way, both individually wealthy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, here they are. They, they were supposed to be friends. And now one of them isn't listening to the other, alternately, <laughs> one versus the other. So I yeah. think you're totally right. There is a little bit of uh, jealousy and rivalry going on. And, you know, by the way, they both play it for all it's worth. So Governor Rahner, even though he's from the North Shore, he's got houses, sent his kids to uh, magnet schools in the Chicago public school system, mm-hmm. he often plays this card like he's some sort of downstate commoner, rides his motorcycle around, the, the flannel flannels. shirts. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember initially when he was dropping his G's? I'm running hard. And it's like, you know, you don't talk like that. You're a Dartmouth-educated, you know, right. uh, a private investor. You you don't talk like that. It was a um, nice show. It was a – it just nobody It was an awkward it. show. It was so awkward. It's like yeah. nobody believed it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but he's tried to play that basically game, the downstate versus Chicago kind of political game, which uh, which often crops up here. Yeah. Now, with this new, with the new mayor coming in, uh, how do you think the city council is going to, is the city council go, uh, going to change in your, in your estimation? It'll change somehow. It's going to have to change, right? Um, what, what are your impressions of the city okay. council? So, uh, I, actually, I feel that for the most part, uh, not to discount any of the, the, the great uh, folks that are serving there. Go ahead and discount. Uh, <laughs> yeah, say what you need to say, I feel, man. I feel that they have they have done a really terrible job of pushing back against the mayor uh, when they should have, uh, and especially for those who are in areas where uh, you have residents that fall beneath or they're they're at the poverty poverty line, the working poor, uh, so to speak. I hate to use that word, but that that is what it is. Uh, and we've had so many. We, we've had uh, fines and, um, and and fees that come out and really impact that group more so uh, than anybody else. And we have not seen a uh, you know city council acting as a as a protection uh, or a voice for them. So they've been really weak. It hasn't been a strong uh, city council that has kind of helped to to stabilize or uh, there hasn't been much pushback. So I don't and, and a lot of that I know is because of this ability. That uh, that Mayor Emanuel has had to politic and to you know be the tough guy, right? Uh, and and going back to daily, same thing, you know, tough guy, you know, had it, had it held down. Um, but with the new person coming in, I don't know if anybody that's in the the fray right now that we've we've mentioned has that kind of capital to come in and have people fall in line in the, in the way that we're kind of we're kind of accustomed to seeing. I think you're right on the money with all these points. For decades, the Chicago City Council has been a rubber stamp for whoever's mayor, with a couple of rare exceptions. And it's worth briefly pointing out that one of those periods of exception was during the first couple years of uh, former Mayor Harold Washington, who happened to be, uh, uh, not by chance, the first African-American mayor of Chicago and the opposition bloc was a bunch of, of white guys, and it was very obviously a racial thing. So that's one time mm-hmm. when they they stood up to the mayor uh, for a brief period of time. But for most of its history, uh, recent history, the Chicago City Council has been more like the Russian Politburo, where it's like, you know, uh, 
is it going to be a 49 to one vote or a 45 to five vote? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's what passes for drama often and <laughs> votes in the city council. And it doesn't seem to matter who the mayor is. And I, you know, this is something that actually kind of perplexes me, especially the last couple of years is mayor Manuel's popularity has obviously gone uh, down the drain. Why do the aldermen keep saying yes to everything? And, and, you know, what you're getting at is, especially in communities that just don't have that much, uh, mm-hmm. some of these neighborhoods where the violence is just um, is just so outrageous and unacceptable. And, you know, the old political way, especially in a city like Chicago, is, okay, you're going to go along with the mayor. That means you're going to get something for it. Yeah, exactly. So the question I have, just in bald political terms, what are you getting for it? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have an answer to that. So... Whoever the new mayor is will try to come in and undoubtedly, uh, no matter what promises they make to be progressive and to promise reforms, they're all going to try to come in and corral the city council to do whatever they want because a mayor of Chicago kind of wants a, uh, you know, a compliant city council. That's what they expect. Yeah. How they're going to do it, I don't know. It's going to depend, you're right, on who it is, uh, what kind of perceived clout they have coming in. What kind of a victory? Is it someone who's going to limp into office after a bruising battle? Or is it? Are, are, is everybody going to sort of lie down when somebody strong emerges, whether it's Tony Preckwinkle or somebody else? Is everyone going to kind of lie down if that's the case? I mean, that's what happened when Rom came in. Remember, there was a moment where all these people were like, I'm going to run for mayor. Then Rom. The, yeah. ba- the baton was basically handed to Ram, and then everybody kind of laid down and, okay, well, he's the guy now. Yeah, okay. You know? Just right, kinda... exactly. <laughs> so, I don't know. Let's see how it works, you know. Um, what I am, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm also looking at is uh, with, with the, the excitement around it for me is uh, to see if there's going to be a unique vision that is, uh, that's presented uh, to the people. Uh, or if it's just going to be, you know, kind of the same old, same old thing where we the talking points are, are crime and, and education and jobs. Right. right? Um, but are we going to move to actually address some of the issues that have been brought up by the people? So I know a couple. Of, was it was it last year? Two years ago. OK, I'm, I'm the event is more important than the time. <laughs> but the event is uh, that the elected school board. Right. That was placed on the uh, uh, ballot. Right. As. Like, should that be voted on or? Uh, yeah, or it was get- uh, in, in, in certain number of wards or precincts. It yeah. was um, it was put on the ballot. It's a not, it was a non-binding referendum. Right. So, again, it was sort of a political move to to gauge support. And people who put these referendum items on the ballot, they're pretty smart about the way they word it. And I say all that just to be totally candid, because it was worded in such a way that you would go in there and you're like, well, of course that sounds good. Now, I personally um, am all for having the debate about the elected school board. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an appointed school board, and you know, under ROM, we cycled through uh, Chicago Public School CEOs. Um, right. One was ousted for being ineffective as we you know, ended up with a teacher strike. Right. The, yeah. the next one went to prison mm-hmm. uh, for corruption. The one after that was forced to reside in ethical, under an ethical cloud after business was going to one of his old law firms or, or one of his old law partners um, and so on. So, you know, really, can we do worse? I mean, yeah. that, that is an open question, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. So there, there, during the referenda, that referendum item that went out there, people supported the elected school board. And I think you'll definitely see a push from, 
you'll hear that from a lot of candidates for aldermen, and it'll be interesting to see where the mayoral candidates line up on that, too. And, and I recognize that that is a huge, uh, politically, that is a huge uh, feather in the cap, right? Sure. To have uh, control over that agency. Uh, and Chicago's educational um, uh, educational system, it is one that really has set the trend uh, nationally in, in a lot of in a lot of areas. So to to kind of give up the range to that, right? <laughs> that you know that that says a whole lot. Uh, but if we're going to have any consistency, if we're going to really be representative of the the, the will of the people, um, and still move forward, right? You know, responsibly, uh, then I think that's something that's going to have to have to be brought up. So it's certainly something people are interested in. Again, I mean. Um the schools seem to be moving forward. Um, progress is is being made, it would seem, in the school system. But uh, you're right; the leadership and the governance has had its issues. So I think a lot of people want to want a, a bigger voice there. Okay. All right, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in a minute. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 Eight zero six zero one four one. That's area code eight seven two eight zero six zero one four one, or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent: one in two hundred and sixty thousand. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, 1 in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, 1 in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38, and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to follow and like our pages on social media. You'll find us, look for us, at Radio Islam USA. 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. So SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, or Google Play, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right. Uh, I am joined in studio by Mick Dumkey, uh, reporter for ProPublica. We've been talking about, well, who's going to be missing uh, next Chicago mayoral uh, race, and that's Rahm Emanuel. So uh, one of the things that um, you have to think about, you know, we, we look at every administration, every uh, elected official, we look at their, their legacy, right? And you never know right. when that's going to be that you'll be actually looking at doing the rewind, right? Uh, so with, with Rahm, um, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, do you think Laquan McDonald, do you think that's going to be uh, the defining um, moment of his legacy? Well, it's always, I think you're, you're right um, in saying that it's often hard to know what someone's enduring legacy is going to be at the time. Right. But it's hard to imagine that the Laquan McDonald shooting and the narrative that's followed and all the, um, you know, just the way that it continues to affect the city. It's, it's hard to imagine that that wouldn't be a major chapter of, of Mayor Emanuel's story here, um, both because uh, the shooting happened at a time, of course, um, amid, you know, after Trayvon Martin and Ferguson, when uh, around the country, let alone in Chicago, people were basically saying, we've had enough of this. Uh, we've had enough of um, police departments that are supposed to be protecting our public safety um, engage in these, uh, these incidents without any kind of... Uh, follow through without any kind of accountability. Um, and even in the instances where the shootings were found to be, you know, quote unquote justified, uh, at least to have uh, a light shown on those incidents to say what happened, why can we prevent them? So, you know, it's not Mayor Emanuel's fault that uh, this has happened during his tenure, but it has. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing, and this is um, both, this is perhaps fair, to, a little bit of context that might be um, more fair to Mayor Emanuel, but also kind of indicts the way the city has always done business. You know, this is certainly not the first time there's been a police shooting here. This has been going on for years. Right. It's not the first time that uh, the family of a victim of a police shooting has brought a lawsuit before this, you know, to the city or threatened to sue the city. And it's, uh, you know, by no means the first time the city has had to agree to a settlement and pay a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, I think what has happened is there's been sort of an assembly line of uh, dispensing with these things. It's like there's a bad police incident. Um, the lawyers get involved. It's corporation council. The, corporation, the city's mm -hmm. corporation council um, agrees to settle the case or reaches a deal. It goes before the city council. Maybe a couple aldermen will stand up and complain about it. And I've been there for a lot of these meetings. So this is terrible. We've got to stop doing this. And then you just put it back on the assembly line. The city you know, pays the settlement and you move on. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened with the Laquan McDonald case. The difference, of course, is now we're in an era of video. We're in the area of this heightened awareness, the Black Lives Matter era. And as we mentioned earlier, we're in an era where um, a group of journalists f took this to court to get this video released. Spe speaking to that, <clears throat> speaking to that, because we're in a time now where our highest uh, elected official, uh, our president, who has done quite a bit to discredit uh, journalists, 
uh, our media outlets. And the footage that we have of the Laquan McDonald shooting, uh, as you mentioned earlier, was only made available not just by the judge's order, but because reporters, uh, journalists, uh, you know, went through or they foiled it. Right. Right. Now, so there is this connection between mobilizing, uh, mobilizing people, and uh, and 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 receiving information, uh, information, and we have relied on our our journalists, right? Our reporters, these media outlets have played a big part. And, you know, I want to take it away from the media outlet in general. I just want to go back to the to the journalists themselves on an individual mm-hmm. basis, right? Um, because I don't want to seem this like cookie cutter with just mass production. But people who are concerned about getting the story out uh, right. and transparency, it's odd, I think, that there is not there is not more uh, there's not more appreciation. I, I feel like in the role uh, that journalists have 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 played when it comes to uh, being a part to being being a part of uh, being a part of the, that movement and whether. Wherever that person's uh, stake is or their individual perspectives, that's really not the point. The point is they've provided information that was, you know, up to that point not known. Uh, and when it gets out there, the people take it and, and, and people mobilize around that. Right. So right. I, it's it's just odd that I don't think the, that connection is always uh, – it's, it's not always front and center. Yeah, I mean these are these are huge themes. These are huge transformations that are going on um, around the world right before our eyes. I mean, one of the things you're getting at is just the very notion of truth itself and and facts. Um, And uh, President Trump has capitalized in a way that no other uh, politician has on this moment in time, where because of social media, because of the internet. Um, everyone can basically pop off and give their opinion about everything, which is great on one level, extremely democratic, small d. Mm-hmm. Um, but on another level, allows anybody to claim anything is true uh, without any kind of process for verifying whether it's true. So uh, when Donald Trump doesn't like something that's reported about him, he talks about the you know the failing New York Times or the dishonest Washington Post or the fake you know fake news media and so forth and so on. Um, you know politicians have done this for a long time. Nixon did it. I mean we just got done talking about some of the ways Rom was tried to spin things around. I mean Trump's on another level I think clearly. But the bigger picture here is just yeah what is what is truth itself at a time ironically where. There's more information than ever. And that comes back to the Laquan McDonald shooting. What's different about what's going on the last few years versus um, policing in America, policing especially in non-white urban neighborhoods from before? Well, the difference is there's more people recording what's happening. There's more video that's captured. And so before there was only one official account of what was going on, and now you've got other information that often counters those official accounts. And that's what happened to Laquan McDonald. Let's not forget at the center of this this scandal, and it is uh, scandal isn't even the right word because it's so much uh, graver than that, were a bunch of police officers who apparently after the shooting got together, concocted a narrative, wrote it down in their official reports, got approval from their supervisors, and then that became the official account, the official version of events until uh, these this video was unearthed. Right. So 
now we're going through a whole process where the repercussions are still being felt four years after that incident. Um, a young man lost his life, uh, you know, which is the, the central tragedy. And then there's all these reverberations that continue to shake the city. Yeah. You know, and this is something, uh, even though those of us here in Chicago uh, relate to this more closely, just, just due to proximity, but this is something that is taking place, uh, has taken place all across the country. Absolutely. Um, and, and quite often it, it goes unchallenged or unnoticed because, except for that family who endures the loss, but in terms of the availability uh, or, or the, the public's access uh, to, to these incidents, you know, via vo- uh, video uh, footage, you know, that's, that's removed from the equation. So um, bringing this back, back home and talking about legacy, I definitely think that this is going to be a part of it. Uh, and, of course, you know, as far as support is going, I'm not, I'm not looking at this in, a, um, uh, in, an, in an anti-ROM, um, uh, from an anti-ROM stance, but I, I am saying that when you look at the failings, the shortcomings, this will definitely rank high up there. But I also think uh, we'll have to talk about the school closings as well because right. these, have, these closings have uh, fundamentally, fundamentally changed uh, neighborhoods. Uh, especially when you factor in violence, you factor in gang uh, culture uh, and, and territories, uh, territories, and and what is and they've had to develop a, a safety infrastructure, right? Uh, so that children can walk from one neighborhood uh, to the next because they're crossing gang boundaries. Uh, not to mention that the schools, the schools, you know, traditionally have been a an anchor uh, within communities. And to have the schools uh, taken out of the communities, and actually I could really go off on a different tangent just as far as teachers that used to live in the neighborhood and teach in the schools and that being removed as well. Right. Uh, but I think this is going to, this really should, I think, should be right up there, right next to uh, the Laquan Mc, uh, McDonald, um, uh, the, the video uh, footage, their, their attempt to uh, suppress that coming out. Uh, because I think it, is, it has been as impactful um, when you look at uh, the community-wide uh, impact. Well, I, I absolutely think you're right. I think these are um, both really important chapters um, in Mayor Emanuel's tenure. And in both cases, we're talking about not just what happened, but the perception of what happened, which yeah. gets back to um, leadership issue. With Laquan McDonald, there is a debate about whether um, Rahm and some of his um, – aides at City Hall buried that story, and there was a cover-up um, to try to keep the whole thing under wraps until after he was reelected in 2015. Yeah. Um, I personally have not seen anything that suggests there's an actual cover-up, but as I was saying a minute ago, there was an assembly line of getting rid of these things before. You didn't have to do much of a cover-up because, um, and I, I heard a former uh, uh, Brian Sleet, who used to be an aide to um, an alderman on the south side, a very uh, astute observer of Chicago politics, I heard him say recently, you know, the sad truth is in these cases, nobody cared. So in most cases, you didn't have that much to cover up because somebody was shot by police. Everyone wrote it off as that's just how it goes, and we move on. You pay the bill, and you, and you move on. So whether uh, you think there was a formal cover-up or whether it just ended up getting buried that way, um, both are pretty damning. 
But what's undeniable is that the way that Mayor Manuel's administration handled it um, was not what people wanted. It was not expected. There was a perception. They certainly fought to keep the video from being released. There was a perception that he was not a guy looking out for them. And I think with the schools, to your point, uh, there was a perception whether, you know, Chicago Public Schools population is declining. So do you need to close some schools here or there? Maybe you do. But there was a uh, feeling the process was fixed. It was predetermined that uh, Mayor Manuel had somebody else do it, washed his hands of it, and tried to just get rid of it as fast as he could. Um, You know, around the time, or I think even before he closed the schools, he also closed a few mental health clinics, which you just got done talking about the needs, the mental health needs in some of these same communities that are being rocked by violence. So I think that his um, decision to shutter public institutions at a time where these communities were crying out for more investment is going to be part of his legacy as well, for sure. Yeah. And I'll double back and mention just uh, with regard to the police officers who uh, fabricated, created this this narrative uh, around the Laquan McDonald shooting. And I don't know what became of them. Uh, not aware if anything happened. Uh, there there was discipline. Um, this case got a lot of, I, not to interrupt, very no, no, quickly, this case got a lot of attention. So they did face some discipline. I, I don't remember the specifics right now, but most of them were removed from duty. I think uh, there were charges about um, basically falsifying the reports against some of them. So uh, there was a lot more activity on this case than on many other cases that might have proceeded before. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, when, when you're caught out in the open, right. then it, something has to be done. Correct. Right? You right. Know, it, just, just to save face. But when we talk about uh, this this particular incident um, as kind of a ground zero uh, for 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 reaffirming or, or rebuilding trust with community. I think it starts with having a, a zero to- tolerance policy in house that some things they you know you you do this one time then you've shown that you will do it again and again and especially uh, the fact that it's related to to the uh, loss of life. Right. Uh, now, the the court of public opinion, uh, most folks that look at it can see that this was an egregious use of force. It was it was completely unwarranted. Uh, but we'll we'll wait to see what the judge uh, says. We'll see what happens uh, in court. Um, but when somebody is willing to uh, to invent facts like that. I think those are folks that they don't deserve to be. They don't deserve to wear a badge. Uh, that's not something that you you get to come back from. So well, and you know, again, I think um, this comes back to leadership. Um, I, I don't think any executive, like a mayor, can be held responsible for every single employee of the city sure. or every single member of the police department. Right? There's like eleven or twelve thousand sworn police officers. Certainly, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. Uh, say that the conduct of all of them is on the mayor. On the other hand, when something like this does surface, what's your reaction? Right. You know, to, to fight to keep it under wraps in one way, shape, or form, or to, uh, you know, take a leadership role and saying, that's not the kind of police department we have. We're going to make sure we have systems of accountability in place. I'm going to go before the people and try to restore their confidence in me and in, and in the public safety system here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was... Uh, Mayor Emanuel responded uh, very weakly, and when he did respond, it was it was too late. Um, by then, the you know the video was out, and he was having to basically 
apologize over and over again. Um, so here you have this tough guy mayor, uh, nicknamed the heat-seeking missile. You know, he's got the city council in the palm of his hand, uh, goes toe-to-toe with the governor, uh, tells President Trump what he thinks. Yet he couldn't go before the people and uh, until this, the, the cover was blown off this whole thing. I think that's what we're getting at with leadership here. What's going to be the, the biggest challenge as far as leadership is concerned for the new mayor coming in? Well, I've been thinking about this a lot. I actually have a piece coming out tomorrow or, or this week about that. I think that, you know, Chicagoans want everything. Um, so you, this is an international city. You're going to have to be the leader of an international city. You're going to have to present for Chicago to the world um, and show that we're m- about more than violence or Al Capone or even Michael Jordan, for that matter. So sure. what are we? Um, we? We expect that of a mayor in this day and age. On the other hand, this is a city of neighborhoods and communities. You've got to take care of the small stuff. You've got to have people out in all those neighborhoods. You've got to restore confidence. I don't think Mayor Emanuel um, ever had the confidence of of working people around Chicago that he that people didn't ever really believe that he knew what their lives were like or what the issues are that they face day to day. The streetlights going out, the rats, let alone the shootings, uh, you know, happening down the block. Um, they may not blame him for everything, and I, I don't think it's fair to blame him for everything, but I just don't think they look to him as the kind of person who understood what they were going for. And, and hopefully the new mayor will be able to, uh, to build a little more confidence on those levels. Well, I know uh, some would point to the economic activity. You know, we've sure. got more. We've had more cranes uh, in the downtown area that are up, uh, I think, than anywhere in the country uh, over the past couple of years. Um, which is good for those that are in the That's trades great. and yeah. you know, building materials and you know it's a whole uh, whole host of uh, ancillary um, uh, institutions or, or, or fields that, that that pour into that. Um, and then uh, I think we have uh, with with the tech, you know, we've we've there's an investment right. uh, in you know tech startups and uh, what is it over at the used to be uh, the merchandise mart the uh, yeah you know, the merchandise mart yeah, yeah exactly so I mean we, we've got some things. Uh, that are that are good. Uh, we've we've got Chicago has a, has a lot has a lot of, of great things. Yeah, and Rom's Rah- built up tourism here. Yeah. He's really pushed tourism. He's um, he he's been a very hardworking ambassador for Chicago in the business community and yeah. and on the national scene. And and you know I think it's fair to point all that out. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people don't feel like that's gotten to them. Um, yeah, because it doesn't impact them. It doesn't necessarily impact them. Everyone, yeah. we, we need a strong central city for sure. We need downtown to thrive. And, and Daly got that, by the way. Daly invested so much of his uh, tenure as mayor in building up the loop and building up the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Rahm has continued that, and I think they deserve credit for it. But you're exactly right. Um, and, and what I hear from people is that, you know, you got to take care of us out here and you got to know what we're going through at the very least. Right. So I'm, what I'm looking, one of the things that I am looking for, uh, and I'll be listening carefully for those who throw their hat in the ring when they start talking about what they plan to do. Um, what is the plan for uh, starting to divert resources uh, to the west side? Right. Right. Um, because it has remained unchanged in, in a lot of uh, uh, areas, a lot large part of it, going back to the late sixties. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even uh, the fifties, as I've found. Yeah. You know, so when there started to be disinvestment um, going back, you're right. Fifty, 
60 years in some of these yeah. places. So what, what's going to be a plan for that? So that uh, prosperity can start to be spread around. It's felt, you know, around the city. Everybody feels like they're part of, the, of an international city. Right. So, um, yes, I'm looking forward to see all these hats drop. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's actually really exciting. Um, yeah. And I will also say to uh, Mayor Emanuel, he, um, by the way, has been fighting former Governor Quinn's effort to uh, put a referendum on the ballot that would limit Chicago mayors to two terms. Um, really? This is a whole thing that's playing out right now and will probably be decided in court. Uh, I think Rahm is on the wrong side of that battle. But he voluntarily left after two terms. It's kind of like George Washington <laughs> uh, you know, back in the day. Yeah. And I actually hope that that is uh, something that he uh, gifts to ob- other mayors, that he sets a, a precedent for two terms. Yeah. Um, you know, an executive who gets ensconced in office too long, a lot can go wrong. I think eight years after eight years, whoever it is, whether you've done a good job, uh, if you've done a bad job, we want to, we want you to get out of there. If you've done a good job, it's time for some fresh blood. So hopefully Mayor Manuel has given us a gift of setting a precedent of serving no more than two terms. Well, that'll be another conversation, <laughs> but I, I can't, I can't see anything, uh, anything wrong in that. <laughs> Mick, we appreciate you uh, coming in. Hey, thanks for having me on. I hope we can keep the conversation up. The next few months are going to be really fun and yeah. interesting. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, Radio Sound family, we appreciate you uh, spending this hour with us. We want to thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Uh, we thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, assistant producer, Ibrahim Baig. Uh, you're selling everything, aren't you? Get a people salams. Get a people salams before we get out of here. <laughs> All right. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision. Uh, and with that, good people, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.